morning. We continue this morning with our sermon series, Mirror, Mirror. It's from the book of James. In the book of James, he, he likens the Bible to a mirror. The picture on the screen shows us what that's like. We're, we're supposed to be able to look into the Scripture and see what we're really like, but we're supposed to be able to see more than that. You see, we look into the Scripture and we see what we're like, but we also look into the Scripture, and in the Scripture we get a picture of Jesus. And the book of James, and really the whole of Scripture, says that if we persist, if we persevere in looking deeply into the Scripture, sort of like this picture on the screen, a, a pawn in front of a mirror reflects the image of the king. As we look into Scripture and we see what we're really like and we see what Jesus is really like, if we persevere in looking into the Scripture, we can reflect the image of our King. But that requires something, according to the book of James. We can't just sit here and hear Scripture in comfortable pews. We can't just read the Scripture lounging around our homes. The book of James says that we can't just be hearers of the Word. By implication, we can't just be readers of the Word. We have to be doers of the Word. So the question for today is, if we're going to be doers of the Word, what do we do? If we're going to be doers of the Word, how do we know what to do? You see, the truth is, we have a lot of options as to what to do. You might have noticed there's plenty of need around Broadway Church of the Nazarene. Way too many people in our city here go physically hungry. There are people in this worship body who go and, and help feed them through a ministry called Old Man Rivers. A group of people on, I think it's July 13th, are going to go over to Old Man Rivers and put siding on one of their buildings. I have a list right now that I received from the principal of Fair Plains Elementary just down the street. It's a list of things that they need done between now and the time school starts. Um, they're a little short-handed maintenance people throughout the school district, and because of the consolidation, they're not hiring more. They're seeking volunteers to do some of the work. There are painting projects and mulching projects. I have that list, and I've given it to, to Sharon Vincent. And if your Sunday school class or a small group or a group of friends want to take on a project there to bless our community, just get in touch with her. She'll help you know how to do that. There's plenty of things to do. Do you have a neighbor who could use your help? around their house, or maybe you could just use a listening ear. You've got plenty to do. We hear, every, we hear every day how many of our neighbors are addicted to something. And of course, the most important thing at all, of all is for us to do is to make sure that our neighbors have an opportunity to meet Jesus and to know Jesus. There are plenty of things for us to do. We're all called to do the Word, and there are plenty of things to do. The question is, how do I know what's mine to do? And how do you know what's yours to do? You see, if I try to meet every need I see, I will probably accomplish nothing except frustrate the people that I've gotten to count on me, most of all, my family. Speaking of family, how do you know what to do for your family? Parents, how do you know what to do for your children? 
How do you know when to show leniency and how do you know when to make them toe the line? How do you best care for your aging parents? Do you have the resources to do it yourself? Do you need to search around and figure out who will come into their home and help them? Or or are they best cared for in a facility? Those are incredibly hard decisions. For that matter, how do you... How do you know how best to provide for your family? Do you stick with the job you have? Do you take that new offer, or do you go beat the bushes and try to create an offer that you haven't had yet? If we're going to be doers of the word, we've got to know what to do. And the truth is, that requires wisdom. I've got good news. The book of James is extremely helpful with that need. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of James, chapter 1. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 5. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us know what to do. I pray that you would give us wisdom through your word, and by your spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When you heard the phrase, if any of you lacks wisdom, did did you think of somebody? When you heard about a doubter who's tossed about like a wave of the sea, double-minded, unstable in all of his ways, did someone come to mind? Did you think of somebody? I did. This passage made me think of a high school friend. We once stood next to each other at the deep end of a wave pool at a water park. Now a wave pool, in case you haven't ever experienced one, is a swimming pool, but it's real shallow on one end and real deep on the other end, and and it has this big machine or some sort of apparatus that, that, that can make it Well, it can make waves in the water. It can make it feel like you're out on the ocean. It's basically a swimming pool with a machine that makes ocean-like waves. In essence, it's like a concrete beach with no sharks. My friend and I, we had a few things in common. We were from the same town. We actually lived a half a block from each other. We played on the same basketball team, and we went to church together. But that's kind of where the similarities stopped. He also played football. I weighed about 145 pounds and was a sophomore in high school. He was a solid, very strong 220, and he was a senior. I swam often. Apparently, he did not. Yep, we're headed that direction. We had all those things in common and all those things separately, but one thing we both had in common is we were both incredibly competitive. And so as we stood there uh, beside each other at the deep end of the wave pool, I looked at him, and I said, Hey, 
when the waves start, dive in the water with me and I'll race you to the other side. He looked at me and for the first time in his incredibly aggressive life, I saw a, ha- a hint of hesitation. But you could tell he stuffed it. And he looked right back at me and said, okay, you're on. And so we waited and the horn sounded. They do that sort of thing at those things. And the waves started. I looked at him and we dove in and I started swimming. Now I've got to tell you, Swimming in the wave pool is a little bit like running in West Virginia. You swim up the wave, and then you swim back down the wave. And then you swim back up the wave, and then you swim back down the wave. And it seems like it takes three times as much swimming to get from point A to point B when the waves are going on, kind of like running in my neighborhood here in West Virginia. I was, I was doing okay with it. It was exhausting, and I was tired, but I was doing okay with it. And when I got past halfway, I turned my head to take a breath and took a look to see if I could find my friend where he should be swimming, and he wasn't there. And so I sort of stopped, and I turned all the way around and I, where I could see my friend or at least see where he ought to be, and I looked back, and, and right at the middle of the deep end of the wave pool, I could barely see he had red hair, the top of his head sticking out of a very, very tall wave. And so I I turned, and as the wave went down, I could then see his face again. And I could tell um, he was working pretty hard to cover what he felt like, because he had this big smile on his face, but his smile couldn't cover the coughing that he was doing and the fact that his eyes were about this big around. He decided to jump in, but by this point, he was just tossed by the waves, and he had no idea what to do. Happens to a lot of people, even on dry ground. You make a decision, maybe one or two decisions, and then you... You begin to live with the fallout for a while, and then you spend some time second-guessing. Sometimes it stems from depression. When the chemicals in your brain are out of balance, no choice seems right. Sometimes it comes from bad experiences. You make three or four choices that bring stress and pain into your life, and before too long you're convinced you'll never make another one again. At least you'll never make another good one. Second-guessing decisions can virtually paralyze the strongest of us. We try to play it cool. We try to fake a smile because we don't want anyone to know that we're unsteady. Even if we're about to drown in indecision, we can't ever reveal the doubt we have about the decisions that we've made. Nobody wants to be, or nobody wants to appear wishy-washy like a wave of the sea. Truth is, both of us were too cool to scream for help and bring the lifeguards. Both of us were also too tired to scream for help and bring the lifeguards, but I wasn't too tired to do the math. He weighed 220, I weighed 145. If he got a hold of me, we were both in trouble. So I did the only Christian thing you could possibly do in such a situation. 
I ripped the inner tube out from underneath another little kid that was swimming by and, and put it under my friend's hand. Now, I apologize to the kid. I, I, I volunteered to grab his hand and bring it over to the inner tube, too, and the kid just threw his hands back, shook his head, and swam off. Apparently, he was a better swimmer than either one of us. When I read this passage about doubters being tossed like a wave, at first I thought about my football playing sinking like a rock friend. But then I also remembered the rest of the story. You see, as we sat there in the waves going up and down, I still knew how small that floaty was and how big he was and how small I was. So I kept my distance and just treaded water. And as I was doing that, I realized why my big, strong friend had so much trouble with those waves. It was a whole lot easier to deal with those waves when I was swimming and making progress and headed in a direction I could stay up on top of them. But when I had no direction, I began to be tossed about. With no direction, all it, well, it took all I had just to keep my head above the water. I got to tell you, whether you're the leader of, of a workplace or a household or a church or, or wherever, it's an awful thing to wonder about direction, to not know what comes next. I've got to tell you, in those moments when I haven't heard what God wants me to preach next or I don't know the next step for the church's development or I'm struggling with how best to parent our almost adult children, those are incredibly uncomfortable moments. And until God placed this sermon on my heart, I've never been willing to tell people that. But I've always had pretty good coping mechanisms. In fact, I, I, I got a great coping mechanism for that when I first got into ministry as a very, very young person. I was 23 years old, and when I entered ministry, it seemed like I made like 200 decisions a day, and every one of them seemed to be just incredibly earth-shaking decisions. In those early years when we were entering into ministry, and I was so young, when Earl and I went out to eat, I always did the gentlemanly thing. I always let her order her food first. Pretty soon she figured out that when she ordered her food at the restaurant and the waiter or waitress turned and looked at me, I always just said, that sounds good, I'll have what she's having. Yes, I wanted to be a gentleman, but after I'd made my 200 decisions for the day, what I really wanted was not to make any more decisions at all. I just wanted to pawn my decisions off on her. Why did I do that? Because deciding is hard work. And it's much easier when someone else does it. If I don't like the food, I didn't make the decision, she did. Am I the only one that's like that? Don't settle for listening to me. Let the word be a mirror for you, too. Let it show you what you're like. When you don't have a clear direction about the next decision, does it feel like you're floundering and unstable? I learned that day in the pool, it's much easier to handle the ups and the downs of life 
if I'm swimming in a direction, any direction at all, it's much easier to handle the ups and the downs and the waves of life. It makes us want to take up that mantra from Disney's forgetful fish, Dory. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. If you feel tossed by the waves of indecision, then pick a direction, any direction, and just keep swimming, just keep going, just keep doing what you're doing. If we lack direction about anything, if we lack direction at all, we'll do just about anything to get it. We'll take up a hobby. We'll volunteer for anything or for things or whatever things. Some people, in order to have direction, try something and take up an addiction to chemical or social media or gambling. Some folks who are, are lacking direction will switch jobs, and some folks who are lacking directions wind up switching spouses. If you feel tossed by the waves of indecision, Direction feels good no matter what direction it is. The problem is when we're living in the midst of the waves and we don't have real direction, sometimes we want to take two or three directions at a time and then we feel even more unstable and folks can see it. That's bad for us. But it's not just bad for us. Just like my friend, we're liable to take other people down with us because we don't make decisions in a vacuum. Our decisions or our lack of decisions affect our families, the companies we work for, the culture we're in, our neighbors, and they affect the church. In fact, have you noticed that those decisions or those groups of people make decisions together? Anyone who's ever piloted a boat full of people on choppy waters know that the best way to right the ship and stabilize things and cut the complaining and keep people from getting sick is to fire up that motor and find a direction no matter which way you're going. You see, when the boat is sailing up on plane and, and running across the top of the water, the waves have much less effect on the boat. It's true for individuals and it's true for us in the gospel ship as well. We need direction. But the question is, will just any old direction do? A pastor once, a friend of mine who was a pastor once said to me, I think my church needs to build a building. I thought to myself, and then I said to him, your church has an incredible building. What else could you possibly need? He said, oh, we don't need a building. We just need to build a building. Because when we all get unified in, in the decision to build a building, it just brings unity. It brings purpose. When we build a building, we have unity. We don't need a building. We just need to build a building. We instinctively know that if we have directions, the waves will be much less of a problem. So we're tempted to settle for any direction. If it isn't a building, it's a new program that we thought up or every other church in the country is trying right now. Whether we're talking about a church or a family or an individual, if we just fire up the, the engines and settle for any direction, 
If we just keep swimming and swimming and swimming in any old direction at all, we may swim or we may sail over a waterfall of debt or into a storm of divorce or crash on the rocks of an addiction. We want to find direction, but in order to do that, we can't just pick one and take off. Pastor and author Todd Bolsinger reminds us that if we're going to find direction that's really going to, that's really going to help us cut through the waves, we've got to have wisdom. The book of James offers us wisdom, but, but the book of James and author Todd Bolsinger reminds us that there's something we need to do in order to get it. Todd Bolsinger has a title in his book, or title, a title of a chapter in his book, and it says this, don't just do something, stand there, and then do something. He suggests three incredibly important words to say when we don't know what's next. In fact, they're the right answer when I don't have clear direction. We've been talking about these words a little bit as a church board. They're not easy words, but they're simple words. How many of you have gone to a meeting at work or at church or sat around your kitchen table at one of those family meetings and you've uttered these three words? I don't know. When James says, if anyone is, is lacking wisdom, he's inviting us to speak those words. I don't know. I've got to warn you, the more successful you've been, the more decisive you've been, the more training you have, the more experience you have, the more reluctant you'll be to say those words. But if you find yourself reluctant to make the next move, if you can't say with confidence what's next for you, those three words are the right answer. I don't know. In fact, those words are so important and they're so hard for us to say, I think we should practice them today. It's going to be hard, but I want you to be brave. And we promise, we promise we won't tell anyone you said them, okay? But I think we should practice because they're important. So here we go. I don't know. On three. Are you ready? One, two, three. I don't know. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good? Proverbs 4, 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Now that's profound. You know what that suggests? We don't automatically have it. When we say those words, I don't know We've put ourselves in a position to get wisdom that we don't have yet. If we lack wisdom, James invites us, wait for it, to ask God for wisdom. But James is pretty clear about how we have to ask. 
Chapter 1, verse 6 says this, But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. My friend later told me that he got stuck in the pool because he got out in the middle and he couldn't decide whether to, whether to kick ahead and make it to the other side or to turn back and try to go back where he came from. When we make a decision and then we begin to doubt, that's when we flounder. Doubt is like the wind that tosses us like a wave. But does that mean doubt is wrong and sinful and awful every time? Well, that depends on what you're doubting and when you're doubting it. You see, I have, to have a, I have to have a healthy doubt in my ability to just make the right decision every time for me to pause long enough to say, I don't know. And to ask for wisdom. And if you're coming here today and you haven't embraced belief in God yet, you're just awakening to, to this idea of who God is and, and what He offers, some doubt is natural. The truth of the matter is, if you're a young person becoming a teenager and an adult, you're going to deal with some doubt. Those kind of doubts are healthy things because the truth is, as we allow Jesus to carry us through those kind of doubts, our faith will be more honest and more strong because we've made it through them. James is very specific about a certain kind of doubt here. He says that if you're asking God for wisdom, you can count on the fact that he will give it no doubt because God gives wisdom to all last week on Father's Day we heard James tell us that every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights when you think about it the best gift the father could give any of us is wisdom but the kind of wisdom that the Father gives is a very special and specific kind. Luke 11, verse 11 says this, If there is any among, any among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish, or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion, if you then who are evil know how good, to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you? Him. When we ask for wisdom... The God of all wisdom pours out himself, his spirit, on us. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. When God gives us his spirit, he places his own wisdom within us. The spirit he offers to us has plumbed the depths of who God is. In a way, God gives us the mind of Christ when we ask for wisdom. A good number of us will know some special people who just seem to walk so close to God that they, just, they seem to always be able to discern the right thing. But my guess is there are a fair number of people in this room who think that's very, very few people. But according to the book of James, it doesn't have to be that way. James says God gives wisdom to all generously. 
It's not that God has just chosen a few who will get wisdom and the rest of the world he gives ignorance. It's not like God is stingy with wisdom, only giving it to people who've proved that they can do something good with the wisdom. They've already made good decisions. It says God gives wisdom ungrudgingly. Some translations say without reproach. God doesn't chide us for admitting we don't know what to do. When we ask, He gives. If you're desperate for God to answer a prayer, if you haven't seen God answer a prayer in a long time and you're desperate for God to answer a prayer, I want to encourage you to try this one. Think about it. If you ask for financial wealth in this life, God may give that to you. If you ask for physical health in this life, God might give that to you. If you ask for your circumstances to change, God might hear your prayer and say yes, and his or her circumstances will change. But if you ask for wisdom, God gives generously to all. James 1.5 says, it will be given to you. To ask for wisdom and to know that you'll get it is a huge step of faith. When I ask for wisdom, faith means I know that I'm asking the one who wants to give me wisdom even more than I want to receive it. You come asking for wisdom, there's no doubt God will give it. And when that happens, he'll give you something else as well. I kept treading water next to my friend because, well, I just didn't want to get that close. And because I know what you knew about wave pools. At some point, that awful machine that churned up all the water that was tossing everything and everyone everywhere was going to stop. And the water would calm. One day, Jesus slept in the bottom of a boat with his disciples while the storm raged. They woke him up and they said, don't you care that we're dying here? Jesus got up and stood in the bow of the boat and rebuked the wind and the waves. And he said, peace, be still. And in the sea, was dead, calm. You know where we go this time of year to get away from all the decisions that we have to face? We go to the sea and we hope it's calm. I think that kind of wisdom is what Paul is praying for in Ephesians chapter 3.18. He asked God to give his readers something very specific. He asked God to give them the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. When we ask for wisdom, we're asking for God's fullness of his spirit to come and to fill our lives And to remind us 
that whatever waves seem to be around us, we float on a deep and wide sea of the love of the Heavenly Father. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. But what about the decisions I've made up to this point? What about the times when I've decided without asking God for wisdom? What about the times when I'm sure, or at least I suspect I've decided wrongly, and now I'm deciding something else based on the decisions I've made before? Haven't, I, haven't my past decisions created options now that are just not good for the future? I don't doubt that God gives wisdom. I doubt that I've followed Him in the past. What does that mean for the future? I don't doubt that God will give me wisdom in the future. I just doubt my ability to to hear God's wisdom. I should never have jumped into those waters, and now now I don't know if I'll ever hear from God again. I just want to go to the restaurant of life and let someone else decide. I don't doubt that God gives wisdom. I just doubt that I can hear it. I don't doubt God. I just doubt me. An acquaintance of mine named Tim Crutcher recently made a huge life decision. It involved a major career change uh, requiring him to relocate his family clear across the country, actually next to a big body of water. When I saw him post about it, I was shocked. I knew it had to be a tough decision for him. I wondered how he was feeling about it. A few weeks later, he posted these words. One of the benefits of a life of faith, the real kind of faith that actually trusts God, is that we don't have to waste time second-guessing ourselves. Given that none of us have enough wisdom and knowledge to make the best decisions all the time, it's easy for us to fall into self-doubt. If God is actually God, however, and we trust God, then we know that God can work things out, even if our decisions are flawed, even if we're selfish when we make them sometimes. There's always a path, even if we've made flawed decisions in the past, there's always a path from where we are now, no matter how we got there, to the best world God is creating It's okay if we make halting and stumbling steps toward that world. God will correct, and God will convict, and God will guide, and God will uphold. So we do the best we can, and we trust God to take it from there. Do you need wisdom? When the decisions come fast and furious, do you find yourself unstable? Maybe it's time to start, stop smiling and, and playing it cool. Maybe it's time to stop flailing and wavering around. Maybe it's time to look up to our Heavenly Father and just say, I don't know. Would you please give me wisdom would you please give me your Holy Spirit of wisdom
God gives generously and ungrudgingly to all. You ask that in faith, and God's wisdom will be given to you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and to prepare to lead us in a song this morning. I, I don't know where you're at. You may be on the side of the pool trying to decide whether it's time to dive in or not. You may be out in the middle. You've made a few decisions and you're wondering about those. You may have um, already realized you need some direction and, and just grabbed any direction you could find and realized it probably wasn't a good one. I, I don't know where you're at. But here's what I do know. The beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom, and the only way to get it is to ask for it. Let's stand together this morning. I'm going to sing a song that um, talks about the Holy Spirit, and it has a phrase that connects God's Holy Spirit with the wisdom that we need. If you're seeking wisdom today, I'm going to invite you to join me at this altar. Because I believe that for individuals and for families and for God's family, the beginning of the wisdom is to get wisdom and the way we get it is to ask for it. The altar's open if you'd like to come and pray.
God, we come before you today. And we gladly admit. In fact, it's with relief we admit. We don't know. We come, oh God, asking you for wisdom. We see such need around our community. We see so many who live in broken lives and awful situations and hurt and struggle and we don't know the best way to engage them with the love of Jesus. But we know you. So we ask you, oh God, pray. we pray that you would give us wisdom as to how to do that. May your Holy Spirit plumb the depths of who God is and reveal to us the best way to reach the people around us. Father, I want to pray for my friends who are here today. Maybe for a parent who just doesn't know the next steps to parenting and maybe for a child who is now caring for a parent. I pray for those who have assumed responsibility of caring for someone in old age and doesn't know the right steps, the right, the right next step. Father, for the one who's struggling with a work situation or a relational situation of some sort and just seeking wisdom, I pray, oh God, that you would give wisdom. Father, I pray for the leaders of this church. I thank you for the board members who are willing to to take on the mantle of leadership. Father, we pray that you would give that group wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit and you would fill us with your spirit so that we have the mind of Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace of giving us your wisdom. Lord, I'm grateful that we're praying this prayer today, but I pray that we would spend moments every day getting wisdom from the Word of God and from your presence and your spirit in prayer. Lord, for the one today who doesn't know what it means to receive the Holy Spirit of the Lord, I I just pray that, that this would be the day that they would cry out to you and say, God, I need your spirit. I've been pushed around by the wind of doubt long enough. I pray that I would ride the wind of the Spirit for the rest of my days. Oh God, I pray that you would fill our sails with the Holy Spirit so we would have the direction of the Lord and the waves, the waves would not toss us about. Father, I pray for wisdom for those who are gathered here. I pray wisdom for our leaders in this city, in this state, in our country, and around the world. I pray, Father, that we would have the wisdom of the Spirit. And we would be able to move through life in a humility that says, I don't always know, but a confidence that says, God will always give wisdom. Thank you for the promise. Give us the grace to trust you and your promise and to receive the wisdom of Jesus.
in the blessed and the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ we pray.